0: morning, all. Genesis chapter 6, if you'd turn there, please. Uh, before we dive into Genesis chapter 6, I suspect a lot of you want to know my opinion. What are you laughing at? You're, you're anticipating something here uh, about what happened on Friday uh, with the Supreme Court ruling. Um, I'm going to kind of walk you through something here I think is kind of important. And if you happen to be uh, a person that's checking out Christianity and you're not sure where you stand on a lot of different things... I'm just sort of talking to our people here for the next few minutes, and you may disagree with this, but we welcome you into the discussion. You're going to hear some things later about what Jesus has to say about marriage and the end times, Uh, but that's coming a little bit later on. Uh, Here's here's obviously, I think, most of us uh, that are evangelical followers of Christ that believe what the Bible says about marriage. We're not surprised, but probably somewhat disappointed And I thought I'd kind of tell you what I think a church ought to do or what Christians ought to do in the midst of of this ruling. As you know, that all 50 states now are required to honor the gay marriage and even transferring from one to another. Uh, Some of the dissenting justices, I read some of their statements, and some believe that this particular uh, decision is changing democracy because it wasn't, they didn't believe it was a constitutional decision, but more of a moral decision. And it could actually impact how we just sort of run things from here on out. So they think this is really a big issue, whether they're believers or not. really doesn't fall into this particular category. It's just they're very, very concerned about what's going to happen. In February of this past year, I gave a series of messages on uh, sexuality and the gospel. If you would like to go back, you'll be able to pick up on our take, what we believe the Bible clearly teaches about marriage. It's between one man and one woman. Uh, Jesus gave the clear definition in Matthew 19 about what marriage is. So this was a a huge turn of events here this past Friday. My tagline then was, as I always throw out a tagline for our messages, was love is not to be construed as agreement and disagreement is not to be construed as hate. You may be disappointed. You may not like what happens. You are not to hate the Supreme Court. You're not to hate people that disagree. We are salt and light in this world and we're to love all people. There'll be people that will disagree, but we need to get the term hate off the table. And I wish both sides would do that. Uh, so that's, that's really important in, in all this as we kind of navigate through these waters. I would avoid arguing when you get to work or in your family or sitting around the drinking fountain or the Xerox machine or whatever. Arguments don't win arguments. Um, lifestyles do. And the gospel is still the gospel, and God is still on his throne, and he knew all about this some days in eternity past. Now I just want to read something to you that I think is kind of a key text that I think addresses this particular issue and many other issues that are going to be heading our way. It's in uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, and I'll just read it to you in verses 11 and 12. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in this world. Remember, our citizenship is in heaven. We're aliens, we're visitors here. We, don't, we, we can't control all that goes on here. Abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives... Among the the unbelievers of this world, Uh, though they accuse you of wrongdoing, and they are and they will, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits. Meaning that they will look at your life and they will begin to realize that there is something powerful about your life and what you believe. We're going to see that a little bit later on when we look at Noah. But the main purpose, uh, one of the main purposes of the church as salt and light is to pick up the pieces of the consequences of sin and wrong decisions. That's why we're here. Uh, The world will not make the decisions uh, based on Scripture. They'll make decisions based on lust and pride and desire and the bottom line, money and everything. Those are all how they make decisions. You couldn't expect the world to make the same decisions that we would make or that Jesus preaches because they're not followers of that. So this should not take us by surprise. But we are here to pick up the pieces. We're not here to tell you to tell them, I told you so. And here's what I mean by picking up the pieces. The consequences of this decision and what will happen in the future is incalculable. There is no way to even begin to calculate the mess that's going to happen now that there is no definition of marriage at all. Gone. Other than the biblical definition. Now, marriage will still take place. But it won't necessarily be the biblical definition, which means it will not be necessarily or it won't be recognized by God. So there's an awful lot here that's at stake uh, regarding the church, how we're to respond, how we're to live, we're we're to respond, but not to react. I think that as I look at this, I, I, I begin to realize that next and one of the Supreme Court justices made the statement that next on in line is polygamy. If you can't say no to one, you've, you've, you've got to say no, yes to the, to the next. It's just the way it's, and it's going to keep flowing. And we're going to see something in Matthew 24 today that's, uh, I think, very interesting regarding all this and even the times in which we live. So today, a lot of uh, uh, churches around the nation are just taking a little time to pray, and it's called Call to Fall. Now, you don't have to do this because you don't have a whole lot of room in between your seats, but I'm going to kneel. If you would like to, you can join me. And I'm going to lead us in a prayer. But keep in mind, just because the United States does something doesn't mean that God looks down and goes, oh, the United States, well, they're my favorite people. Now we're really... No, he looks at all people created in the image and likeness of God. And when we see things worldwide, then we have to kind of get a little bit nervous about some things. We're going to talk about some of that a little bit later on. But I'm going to pray for us. and I'm just going to kneel and go before the Lord and ask for his guidance and his wisdom for us, as salt and light to this world. So... Let's pray, <clears throat> Father. As followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, and as followers of Your inerrant Word, uh, we come before You today humbly, realizing that that our nation has taken a, a very bad turn, and will continue to take bad turns unless there is revival, or unless You sovereignly work in unique ways. So I do pray. Lord, uh, for this nation, that the church of Jesus Christ, not just here, but all throughout this land, would be salt and light, that people that don't agree with us would see our good works and glorify you on the day that you return, that they would hear the good news of the gospel and pass from death unto life. Lord, we live in troublesome times, but nothing like the times and the days of Noah, which we will see here in a few minutes. I pray, Father, that we would be people that would be kind and loving in the midst of of darkness in the midst of, of a world that may even despise us. Jesus said that, that the world would, in fact, hate much of what we believe and much of what we do. So I pray for, Lord, that we would do things in a righteous way. We pray for righteous leadership, Lord, in this next election. We pray for righteous leadership, and we pray even for our president right now. You tell us to pray for kings and those in authority. We pray, Father, that he would be surrounded by godly people that would give him godly counsel in the time that he has left as our Uh, as our president, as our commander-in-chief. So, Lord, we pray uh, for Congress. We pray for the Senate. We pray for all the different people that are making decisions, the Supreme Court and all those in ruling authority throughout this land and for this entire world. Lord, we sense uh, your soon return, but we don't know the day nor the hour. But we turn to you and seek your face in this time. Uh, Give us wisdom now as we look at this subject matter of this dear man, Noah, that we'll learn much from today. And it would even change our lives. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. We are in Genesis chapter 6. Genesis chapter 6. And I'm going to read a little bit of this particular text uh, because there's there's a fair amount here. And I don't have time. We're trying to spend just a little bit of time as we're looking at the patriarchs. Um, And our point is to take a look at uh, Adam, which we looked at last week. Um, Noah this week, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, probably Joseph. I don't know how far it's going to go, but patriarchs are the father of families, and these are the early fathers of the entire human race. That's why we're sort of tracing that lineage, that line, uh, to the Messiah. Uh, and as we look at this, as we see this, we looked at Adam last week, and we found that you're either in Adam or you're in Christ. And we learned that the entire world came through the line of Adam, And in the book of uh, Romans, it says, Wherefore, as by one man's sin, sin entered the world, and death by sin, and thus death is passed upon all men, because all have sinned. And we looked at that, we went into that fairly deeply, I believe. We found out that even if people didn't sin in Adam, we learned that they have sinned in their own hearts, because the law is written in the human heart, and everyone knew what was right or wrong, even if there was no law in those days. And then we found that Adam, came sin, came death, Through Christ comes righteousness, comes life. Those that come through the line of Adam, physically born into this world, are already under the curse and wrath of God because they're outside of the kingdom of God, and we are by nature children of wrath, we are by nature enemies of God. Once we realize that, once we understand that, and we see ourselves as sinful, and we come to Christ and trust him alone for our salvation, we leave the line of Adam and we step into the line of Christ, forever forgiven, on our way to eternal glory. That was pretty much the message last week. We looked at a lot of other things, but you can always get the tape or watch it on video. We've got all that information for you online. Today, we are going to look at what I consider to be one of the most interesting characters in the Bible. His name is Noah. Now, this, again, is one of those places in Scripture for which the world on the outside will look in and say, you don't really believe that. You don't really believe that there was a great flood. You don't really believe that somebody built an ark. Come on, you don't really believe that. As we said, we looked at Adam, and then we looked at, at his line, he, coming through Seth, then Noah, then Abraham. You have to decide where you think foolishness is and where reality begins. It's kind of hard because the Bible is the only place that traces all this. And yes, the Bible very clearly states that there was a great flood, and Jesus admits that he believed it, and we'll look at that a little bit later on. But all through this, this is one of those places, again, where many people would would, would laugh at this. And if you happen to be a person sort of on the outside looking in, just kind of follow along. I think you might find this very, very interesting, particularly when we talk about some things regarding the end times. Noah is mentioned in numerous places in the Bible uh, in the New Testament, we find Jesus mentioning him to drive home a particular point he 's mentioned in first and second peter he 's mentioned in hebrews he 's a very, very important figure in scripture so here 's what we want to look at i 'm going to read verses five down to verse 14. Uh, we can 't get into every detail, but we 'll look at, at some important things, but this is Genesis chapter six, starting in verse five we 'll read through verse 14. The Lord saw how great man 's wickedness on the earth had become. And that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. The Lord was grieved that he had made man on the earth and his heart was filled with pain. So the Lord said, I will wipe mankind whom I have created from the face of the earth, men and animals and creatures and move along the ground, move along the ground and birds the air, for I am grieved that I have made them. But Noah found favor or grace in the eyes of the Lord. This is the account Of Noah, Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time. He walked with God. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become for all the people on the earth had corrupted their ways. So God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all people for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I am surely going to destroy both them and the earth. So make yourself an ark of cypress wood, make rooms in it, and coat it with pitch inside and out. Lord, we ask for your blessing on your word, and open our eyes that we behold wondrous things out of your law. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. But Noah found grace or favor in the eyes of the Lord. Noah was a righteous man, and Noah walked with God, this is all prior to the flood, and here's sort of the main thought. As I often say, I want you to step in to the storyline as the Bible is written. Many times we have to sort of, sort of imagine what would it be like in these days. I, I've often, um, I've often sat in on a you know Bible study or something. They have a little icebreaker, and they'll sometimes say something like. Uh, uh, When would you like to have lived during biblical times? Outside of the days of Jesus, when would you like to have lived? I almost always pick this time. I think it would have been fascinating uh, to have seen what it looked like as Noah was a preacher of righteousness for probably about 120 years. New Testament says he was a preacher of righteousness. What would it have looked like to have seen all these people rejecting this particular message? What would it have been like to have lived amongst an entire world, probably several million people. Remember, people lived a long time in those days. Methuselah lived 969 years. They had many children for a long period of time. Lots of people were on the earth. And so here is uh, Noah preaching what would it have been like to uh, be in a world in which nobody believes the way you do except your family. You, your wife, your three sons and their wives. Eight people, that's it. No Bible study to go through, no shepherd group to go to, no church service to gather around, no worship time, no fellowship, nothing. It's just you and the entire world. No place to go to, you know, no Wegmans to have a cup of coffee, you know, nothing. Uh, I said Panera in the last service and people were, you know, kind of confused. At any rate, uh, but uh, nothing, nothing. You get up in the morning And the entire world thinks differently than you do. Not only that, every imagination in the thoughts of men is evil continually. The entire world is filled with violence. Can you imagine the entire world? And it's just you. If you think we're living in dark times, think about Noah in those days. Because that's what we're going to kind of look at here. This is really, really important that we see this for the way it is. Noah is now... The only one, as was Adam, to be the carrier of the seed for the human race. Uh, it's through his line, through, uh, through the line of Shem, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Me, through Shem, that the line is going to come all the way through to the, the Messiah. So this is an important man as a patriarch, as one before the flood, an antediluvian, one before the flood, a patriarch before the flood. So we see Adam, and through the line of Adam comes a whole list of people that we see in, in uh, Genesis chapter five. We get to Noah. And Noah's name means comfort, comfort. What we're also going to see is we're going to see, as was Adam, he was a type of Christ, we're going to see that Noah points to Christ. And the reason he points to Christ is he is a righteous man, he is one of comfort, he builds an ark, it's the only way from the world that then was into the world that now is. Very important. There are five worlds mentioned in the Bible. The very good earth that God created in uh, his six days of creation. Then that earth becomes uh, sinful and it is overflowed with water. And so you go from the world that then was to the world that now is. That's what we're living in. Then uh, there is the very perfect world, the world of the flood, the world that now is. Then there is the millennial period, if you believe in the millennium. And then there is the new heavens and the new earth. those are the five worlds that the Bible talks about. It opens with peace. Everything was good that God made. And it ends with peace. And there's nothing but turmoil and sin and violence and misery and warfare in between those bookends. Aren't you glad you came today to church? That's, That's just the story, all right? I'm just saying that's the story. So as we look at this... I would say that I I want to give you a little tagline. I kind of changed it from the first service, though I I think it still says pretty much the same thing. Our tagline today is navigate deep water with deep truth. Uh, Navigate deep water with deep truth. There are turbulent waters all around us. I got an email from one of our missionaries saying, I woke up this morning and the headlines were Supreme Court rules the way they did, uh, ISIS attacks three nations, beheadings, uh, this The things in, in going on in, in Charleston, all, all, he says, he says, but should we live in this great fear and panic? He says, no, no. God is still king. He's still on the throne. The gospel is still the gospel, and we still have heaven to look forward to. So we have to navigate some deep waters through some deep truth, and uh, this is going to be true today as we look at this particular section. The reason I read what I have or picked out this is because this is the actual narrative of what the flood looked like. It goes on. It speaks to many other things. But as we look at this, this is going to take us to another passage in the New Testament that I believe says more about one person than any other passage that I can think of anywhere in the Bible. And it's found in the book of Hebrews, and it's Hebrews chapter 11. I'd like you to turn there if you would, please. Hebrews chapter 11. That's where we're going to spend the majority of our time this morning. Hebrews chapter 11, this is the great chapter on faith, the great faith chapter. Uh, As we look at Hebrews 11, uh, it starts out dealing with the subject of faith, but we're going to look at verse 7 because this is the one verse that speaks about Noah. And and I want to read this verse, just just read through it, and I'm going to go back and take it apart almost word for word. Here's what it says. Verse 7. By faith Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. First thing that I want to say, and and particularly if you wouldn't consider yourself to be a believer, uh, is this. I want to define what we mean by faith because many times people on the outside looking into Christianity Think, how could you believe in the story of Adam and Eve, Daniel in the lion's den, Jonah and, the, and the, you know, the great fish, the whale, and now Noah, how could you believe that? And we say, well, we believe it by faith. And so that's interpreted by many people to mean a blind leap in the dark. Just lump it up and believe it. You know, my grandmother believed it or my parents believed it, and so I just believe it. No, that is not what we mean. Two ways of looking at faith. There's a biblical way of looking at faith, and there's just a way that you would use the term faith if you're not a follower of Christ. You would never lend money to a stranger on the street, at least any kind of a large sum of money, and you knew nothing about it, and he says, I'll pay you back later. To lend him that money would be a blind leap in the dark. But if a friend of yours that you have trust in, that you've had past experience in, you have faith in... What they've done in the past, you might lend them the money, all right? Because you have an experience of having seen them as a person that you can trust, all right? Biblical faith is based on the Bible, which we trust. We believe the Bible is the Word of God. We believe we can verify that, but we're not going into that today, all right? But those of us that have followed Christ and look into the Scriptures, we believe, oh, when God speaks... He speaks with authority, God who cannot lie. And when we look at this, we go, wow, uh, is there any evidence even for, uh, for a great flood? Why do we find seashells at the top of Pikes Peak? Why do we find dinosaurs in all parts of the world, including Alaska? Because of a great flood. Many people don't want to believe that, but there's evidence all over. But as I said a moment ago, we're not going to go into that, yet I keep going into it. All right. Uh, all right. <laughs> hours and hours and hours we could go into that. We we're, we're just want to let you know why we believe what we believe. So biblical faith is based on divine revelation, all right? So note the text. Note what it says here. Uh, it says this in, 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 in verse 7. By faith Noah, and then it says this, when warned about things, not seen as yet, warned, warned of God. When God... Speaks. We can trust what he says. Here, God comes to Noah and he warns him. He comes to Noah and he says, the earth is filled with violence. My heart is filled with grief. I'm going to destroy the world, but you have found grace in my eyes. I want you to be a preacher of righteousness. I want you to preach the gospel to all these people. So if they can get on board the ark, which is the only way to leave the world that now is, and leave the world that then was into the world that now is, that's it. That's how 2 Peter describes it. And so here is, here is Noah, and he's been warned. He's been told something. God has revealed himself. God has spoken. Noah didn't have a Bible, but when you go through Hebrews 11, over and over again, it says how God spoke to somebody told them to do something. It was the only way that there could be any revelation. It was either through a dream or a vision or, or verbally God speaking. Today we have the scriptures. So we trust the divine revelation of what God says. So our faith is not based on a blind leap in the dark. And I want that to be made very, very clear. So here he is warned of God in this very same verse. And God who cannot lie has spoken now with authority. And uh, Noah is believing that. Now notice what it goes on to say. And this is very, very important. Very, very key expression here. By faith Noah being warned about things not yet seen or not seen as yet. What wasn't seen as yet? What had not yet been seen is it had never rained in the earth in those days. God watered the ground by the heavy dew that came up and subterranean springs, that would water the earth. The earth had been a perfect place, perfect environment, the Garden of Eden, all right? So Noah had never seen rain in those days. He had never seen a boat. He had never seen an ocean. He had never seen a flood, all right? So he is warned of things not seen as yet, as yet. And so when I look at that, I think, Whoa, has he warned us of things not seen as yet? Of course he does. All the time we read in scripture about certain consequences. God will not be mocked. He tells us that. What a man sows, he will reap. So we know that when we sow certain things that are wrong, we know we will reap certain consequences, which is why I talked about picking up the pieces a little bit later on, uh, you know, when, when things unfold and the, the consequences of the Supreme Court decision. We know from God's word that when you violate God's principles, there is a law of the harvest. We know, so we know. We don't know what every day the hell is going to be, but we know that the harvest will come in. And so there's all kinds of warnings in Scripture regarding uh, morals, ethics, how we should live our life. And so when we're reading this, we're looking at a guy that lived many years ago. and We're thinking, oh, well, that was just him. That's not just him. All right. This is what God says to all of us there is a warning of things not seen as yet. And he was talking about the dire consequences of how people were living. So here was this great flood. We also have to realize this. When we see things change in America, as I said earlier, it doesn't mean the whole world has done that. God looks at the world not just here. And when you look at 2nd Peter chapter 3, it says the world that then was overflowed with water. All the mountains And then Noah lands on Mount Ararat, the earth dries up, and he starts the whole new process of the generations upon generations of bringing in the Messiah. But then it says in 2 Peter chapter 3, God will melt this earth with fervent heat and then bring in a new heaven and a new earth wherein dwells righteousness. All right? So sometimes we think, oh, you, you often hear on the news that we have enough nuclear arsenal and bombs to blow up this entire world 50 times over. And many people are concerned that somebody's going to press a button and the whole world's going to blow up. It's not how it's going to happen. Not how it's going to happen. God has already warned us. He's already told us. If God allows mankind to destroy the world, then man is sovereign. Man is in charge. God's in charge. God will be the one who will dissolve the earth. It doesn't mean there won't be an atomic explosion here or there. There have already been those. But it means that mankind is not going to wipe everything out, which does cause me to wonder sometimes because of where we are with the stockpile of of nuclear weapons, and so many nations now have it. But still, I trust what God has to say. And these are things not seen as yet. But I can see them through the lens of Scripture and through faith. And so that's also, we find that in Genesis chapter 8, it says that all the way through the end, there will be seed time and harvest. All the way to the end, Genesis chapter 8, that was God's promise. So it'll still be seed time and harvest. And then suddenly, when God returns, which we'll see in a moment, things will change, all right? But up until that time, things will continue to go on pretty much as they are in many respects. So there may be signs of the times. uh, Things will continue to move on as the world continues to do what it it does. And this is why it's so nice to know about things not seen as yet. Then it says this, and some of yours might not say it exactly this way. Um, It says, in holy fear is when he built the ark. In holy fear. I think that's a really interesting statement. Uh, Or in fear. It could even just say that. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, according to the book of Proverbs, all right? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It is not talking about a shaking, knee-knocking fear of some horrible God that's going to throw a spear at me every time I do something wrong. It's not talking about that at all. It's talking about looking at a God that loves me, has graciously saved me, has given me eternal life, and that I am to live a life, a holy life in this world, as dark as the world may get that I'm to love the people around me that disagree with me. I'm to live a life that is a standard, a biblical standard, that goes against the grain of the world. The word holy literally means other than. It, it, it means different from, uh, separate. That's how we get the word. That's why we we're referred to as a saint, a person that believes in Christ is a saint, not because they live a perfect life, but they've been set apart. That's what the word sort of means. So here's Noah living this, this, this life in, in holy fear. But today... And as we read in Scripture, it says people will not do that. It says that that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, but became vain in their imaginations. Their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and worshiped and served the creation rather than the creator that is blessed forever. Uh, That's Romans chapter 1. And then it gives a whole list of, of sins of mankind. And it says, and those that do such things approve of those that do such things. That's where we are. That's what, that's what the signing was this past Friday. It's, it's a proving of things that, that people in their own ways, in their own lusts, uh, desire for the world to have. It's how we're guided. It's how a lost world is guided. It's guided by its own desires, its own human frailties and senses. It's not guided by a spirit or by the word of God. And so we see many things unfolding in Romans 1. We see it unfolding. But, but there have been dark times all throughout Life. And these are certainly dark times in the days of Noah. And we see this. He built an ark. He was warned and he built an ark. Now, building the ark, again, try to imagine you're told of things not seen as yet by God that you believe in. You live in a very dark time and you're told that there's a rain that's going to come. There's a flood that's going to come. And here's what I want you to I want you to build this ark. He undoubtedly has to hire many laborers. It's going to take a long time to build this thing. There's lots of lumber. And In case you're wondering, well, well, how big was this thing? Well, it was a 75 feet high, 45 feet wide, and 450 feet long. Uh, So this was a very large vessel. And nautical engineers and specialists that wanted to prove the Bible wrong assumed that the nautical specifications wouldn't be right. They're perfect. The Queen Mary... Uh, an older ship was actually designed with these nautical specifications. But then you would expect that the person that knows all about nautical specifications would be right in what he told Noah to do, all right? And by the way, you could get two of every kind of animal on there. There's a lot of study done on that. But I said I wasn't going to go there, but I keep going there. All right. Um, so, here, but here's the point. He obeyed. He obeyed. and matter of fact, at the very end of that chapter, it says, and Noah did all that God commanded him to do. He was a holy man. He walked with God. He—he he was obviously you know, when you think about uh, being holy, uh, set apart, sanctified, finding grace in the eyes of the Lord. And Noah walked with God. There's only one other person in which it says that. It says that of Enoch. And when you pause and you think about that metaphor of walking with God, you've got to be thinking: Well, if he walks with God, he must be moving in the same direction that God is moving. The world is going the other way. He's moving in the direction that God is moving. So he's walking with God. He has to be in agreement with what God is discussing with him because the Bible says, uh, it says, can two walk together except they be agreed? The book of Amos says that. So they're moving at the same pace. He's not getting ahead of God. God's not getting ahead of him. There's a lot in that that expression, all right? So here's Noah, a holy man of God, living in a very dark time. Try to imagine just waking up tomorrow. You're in another culture that completely opposes everything that you believe. That is filled with anger and violence and yet you are moving forward because you believe what God has revealed to you. By divine revelation, you accept what God has to say, and you prepare this ark, this wonderful seaworthy vessel. This ark also has... uh, The dimensions are beautifully given, the length, width, and the height, and even the window above. It says it's fashioned in in a cubit, 18 inches on each side of the window. And you would think that it would be consistent, but it doesn't give it does not give the dimensions to the door. Did somebody make a mistake? No. Because if it give dimensions to the door, there would be some kind of dimensions of getting in and out and the bible tells us whosoever will may come. Whosoever will may enter in. Jesus says, i am the door. So there are no dimensions. That's just one more, but i said i wasn't going to go there, but i keep going. It. it just does show you the divine revelation of truth and amazing things that god puts and keeps in in his word that we can see the hand of God in writing out this divine revelation of which we trust and hold uh, as the ultimate truth. Then we get to this. We get to this. It says, In holy fear built an ark to save his family. To save his family. Here's a godly man living a godly life, no hypocrisy. His children and their wives and his wife, they're all looking at their father as the head of the family who is doing exactly what God told him to do. He's walking with God. He's found grace in the eyes of the Lord. He's moving in the direction of God. He agrees with God. He's obeying God. As crazy and as nutty as it sounds, he's going to do exactly what God tells him to do. So this sort of tells us something about those of us that are parents, uh, father, uh, the spiritual leader in the home, the mother uh, lining up right with that, carrying all that out, also being a spiritual leader at home, both leading the family. What does it look like in our homes today? Are we living holy lives, consistent with what God has revealed, or is there, we just show up on Sunday, look a certain way, our kids see the difference when we go home, they see the chameleon effect, effect, and then they, they say, hypocrisy, thanks but no thanks, not going there. Or... People know you attend church, know you believe the Bible, know you're a Christian, but they see you at work living a completely different life. That wasn't Noah. Noah lived the life in front of all these people. He preached the gospel to all these people. He lived that life before his family. That's why this one verse says so much about one person. And this person is a great person and one in whom the line the Messiah, will come. And then we see this, and this is a tough one. Let's just go back and read the verse. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not seen as yet, in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world. Now, what does that mean? I'm going to tell you what I think it means. I don't think it means he ran around condemning the world. Jesus said, I didn't come to condemn the world, but that through me, the world might be saved. Jesus didn't run around sticking his finger and yelling at people all day long. And unfortunately, many Christians are doing that. I don't think that's what he did. I think his lifestyle, just like it said in 1 Peter 2.11 in my opening remarks, I said, our good works, our life, our consistency will show other people what life should look like. Have you ever been around somebody, a Christian, who is very, very mature? They walk in your house and all of a sudden you turn off the TV and you start getting the magazines put away that you don't think they would like or something, and they haven't said a word. They haven't condemned you. They're not looking down at you, but you look at their maturity and it just sort of, sort of condemns you. All right. I've been around those people. They're not even condemning. They know you're on a walk. They know you're in a process of growing, but you're cleaning things up because you feel it. I think that's what it means here. I think that's what it means when he preached the gospel and he said, you've got to get on board. There's no other way. There is no other way. This great flood, this, this great cataclysm is coming. This great horrific thing is coming. Just like we would say there, that, this, that the fire at the end of the end of the earth, is, as 2 Peter tells, it's coming. A thing's not seen as yet, all right? And so here is, here is Noah, and he's living this life, this standard. He's walking with God. He's a holy man. People are observing this, all right? But the world was filled with violence, absolutely filled with violence. Now look at this. And I love this. This is just a gospel message here. It says, became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Not human righteousness, not righteousness that comes by you keeping the Ten Commandments or trying to live a good life or live by the golden rule. A righteousness that comes by faith, consistent from one end of the Bible to the other. In other words, Noah believed God and he received this righteousness. Next week, Lord willing, we'll find that Abraham... Believe God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Today, we believe in the cross. It's accounted to us for righteousness. Now, the question is, what did Noah actually believe? I don't think that Noah knew that Jesus Christ was going to come and die on a cross and be raised again the third day. I don't think he'd been given that revelation. I think he knew someone was coming. I think he knew there was some kind of salvation coming. But what he did know and what was revealed to him was, you need to build this ark and you need to get on board. And the fact that he believed that revelation, that was the gospel, that was the good news. And he did know someone was coming somehow because of the promised seed in in the earlier parts of Genesis. So he steps on board, and I believe that was counted to him for righteousness. Just like Abraham didn't know all those details, but it says, Abraham saw my day, he rejoiced and was glad in it. But he looked to the heavens, and he knew that somehow his seed would be like the the stars of, of the sky. And he believed in what God revealed to him and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Today, we believe in the death and resurrection of Christ. That's the full orb of the gospel. But here, he believes this, and it's accounted to him for righteousness. Now, what we learn from this, and then we're going to learn something else here in just a minute. What we learn from this, is we learn from a man what it looked like to live in a world that was completely dark, filled with violence, Every thought of the imagination of man was evil continually. There was sexual immorality. There was violence all throughout. The whole place was just plagued with with, with sin. Wherefore, as by one man, sin enters the world, and death by sin, and death is passed upon all men because all have sinned. And so here we see this, and God says, I'm going to destroy the human race. We're going to start over again. I'm going to get a fresh start. But God full well knew that Noah was still going to carry on that, that sinful line, which he did. But as we go through this, we begin to see it takes us all the way up to where we are today, all right, all the way up to, th- to this present time. But there is what I call the fullness principle. And the fullness principle is when God starts talking about fullness, whatever, whatever, however he uses it, it seems to indicate that there is a time when God says, you know, enough's enough. I, th- th- this is it. And so I believe that, that there is a time that is coming When God will either look at a nation or our nation or the entire world and say, enough's enough. I'm done. And here's where I get that from. I go back and I read the word fullness in Genesis 6. The earth was filled with violence. Filled. So God destroys the earth. I read about a nation in Genesis 15. It says the iniquity of the Amorites was not yet full. Not yet full. When it got full, they were wiped out. You look at Sodom and Gomorrah. It's a city. Not yet full. When the iniquity hit, they were gone. From a city to a nation to the world. All right? Now, these are consequences of a loving God that has revealed himself through nature, through his word, through his loving kindness, by bringing rain to the earth and crops to grow. And people don't want to believe because they want to live the way they want to live. That's the way man has always been. And he pushes God away, and he suppresses all the truth that he knows about God and the gospel, and he pushes it away. But here's what I want you to see. This is our final comment on this. Turn, if you would, to Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24. Let's go back to your left a little bit, and you'll see Matthew 24. And I want to make some comments on on this. Um, This gets back to this idea of fullness and and another little comment that I want to make uh, regarding this, all right? And here is what, here is what we read. Look back, if you would, at verse um, 36 of Matthew 24, all part of the Olivet Discourse. It says this, Jesus speaking, No one knows about the day or hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the sun. How could Jesus Christ be omniscient and not know? You Remember uh, Philippians chapter 2 where it says that he would veil himself from certain things? In other words, he willfully chose not to know that, even though he is fully God and fully man. So he doesn't even know the day nor the hour. But only the Father, verse 37. As it was in the days of Noah Now, I'm going to step out on a limb, and not everybody's going to agree with what I'm going to say here. That's okay, all right? I still see it. And I don't know what to do with it. I've thought about it for a long time. I thought about it years ago when I first came across this text. As it was in the days of Noah, so will be the days of the coming of the Son of Man. People are eating and marrying, giving in marriage, drinking, going about going about life. I had first looked at that and I thought, oh, it meant, meant gluttony and drunkenness and so on. But then I, I couldn't match it up with marrying and giving in marriage. It, it, what it's talking about, is it's simply saying that as in the days of Noah, people were just going about life. People were getting married. They were being given away in marriage. They were eating. They were drinking. They were just going about life. That's, that's all it means. It doesn't mean anything any more than that. So shall it be the coming of the Son of Man. But people didn't know what was going to happen. They didn't know the flood was coming other than than Noah. Others don't believe that the earth will be consumed with fervent heat. They just believe we're always going to live. Mankind will fix all of his problems and will live happily ever after. I have talked about that last week. But we know what's going to happen, all right? But here's what I want you to key key in on. And it may seem like a little bit of a leap for some of you, but I don't know what else to do with it. He says that before Jesus returns... As it was in the days of Noah, so be the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. In other words, marriage was still the norm. When marriage is no longer the norm, he will have to have returned prior to that. Friday afternoon, marriage was crossed off the books officially in these United States. They looked at God and said, we don't like what you've written and they know what's written. We're going to change it. That's not a smart thing to do. There will be consequences. It doesn't mean people won't continue to marry. They will. But a lot of marriages will not be biblical marriage. See, And a lot of people today are just cohabitating. All over Europe, when the world starts to adopt a no marriage policy where marriage doesn't mean anything Jesus will have to have returned before that you follow me he says in the days of Noah they were they were marrying they were giving in marriage he was going they were going about life we're rapidly coming to a place where marriage is just a lot of people don't even care about it people are just living together it just doesn't mean anything to anybody and Jesus will have to return before Non-marriage is normal. That's just my take on it, all right? It's the only tangible thing I can look at because I don't know anything else. There's all kinds of signs of the times. And I can remember when I first became a believer uh, 45 years ago was about the time that the late great planet Earth came out. And I read the book and I thought, there's no, no use even eating the next meal. He's coming back in about an hour, you know? <laughs> And then it was it was the oil crisis in the 1970s, and then it was the Jupiter effect, where the planets were all going to line up and split the Mount of Olives. It's always been something that everybody has come up with to say this is the end of the world. And Jesus says he didn't didn't even know. All I can say is there is a fullness period. There is a time when God says to a city, to a nation, to a culture, to a world, I'm done. Enough's enough. This is why it also says that God in his patience, in Second Peter, is waiting. He's waiting because it's his desire that no man perish. So our job description, without planning on figuring out when he's coming back and all that, is to live a holy life before a world that is very dark, a world that disagrees with us, a world that might even hate us. But we are never to hate back, ever, ever, ever. We are to love the people that are perishing, we are to love the people that disagree. We are to love this world with an everlasting love, the love that the Father has for people around this world that think very differently than we think. That's the message. So here, as we wrap this up, we always find that every person in Scripture that we look at in, in major ways or the, the individual or the whole manner of, of, of the preaching about that person always seems to resolve itself somehow in the person of Christ. And as you can see, Adam was a type of Christ. It even said so as we went back in Romans chapter 5. Here we look at Noah and we see uh, that through his line is going to come this Messiah. And he builds an ark that represents the only way to get to the other side with one door, with no dimensions to that door. And so we, we, we see this coming Savior. We see that Noah is a man of comfort, all right? And so we're to be a people of comfort. We're to be a people that preach the gospel of righteousness to this lost and dying world. We we are to love those people. You can't reach people that you don't like or that you hate, all right? Christians should never be accused of that. If we're going to be accused the way Jesus was accused of, let's at least find the type of people that accused Jesus to hate us. The people that accused Jesus were the people, were the religious leaders, not the scoundrels of society. He waded right in with them. He loved them. He cared for them. And so we'll see that as we love people, they'll love us back even if we disagree. That's the message, all right? That's what we have to carry forth. So if you're here today and you came in at the very beginning, I welcomed you and I told you, you may not buy into all this, but I do want to let you know that this is the truth. This book does not lie. It tells the truth in all that it says. And this particular truth of the good news of the gospel is that this world is in bad shape, but there's a new heaven and a new earth coming where righteousness dwells. Where There'll be no more sickness and sin and disease and all that, no more death, no more pain. And that's what we live for. We look to that. Our citizenship is in heaven if you're in Christ. If you've never put your faith in Christ, I can't think of a better time to do it. You may never hear this message again, but it's a gift. It's not based on you doing something. It's not based on you trying or living a better life or giving money or whatever. It's based on Christ alone and what he has done for us. He's paid the penalty for sin, all sin for us. And if you'll put your faith in him, the Bible says you'll pass from death, from the wine of Adam, unto life, the line of Christ. So as we leave today, let's go out into a dark world as salt and light. Let's pray. Father, thank you for uh, your goodness. Thank you that we can navigate deep water with deep truth, that you are the light of the world. And I pray, Father, that we might carry on that light. I pray, Father, for the people we'll come in contact with over this uh, decision. We know that there'll be a lot of talk for many months to come. And, Father, I pray that we would be godly examples of what we believe. I pray, Father, for any that have come in today that do not know you personally, that today would be the day they would put their hope, their trust, their confidence in the Savior, Jesus Christ, who has saved us from the penalty and wrath of sin So, Father, we give that to you. We thank you for the power of the gospel, Lord, because it's the very power unto salvation to all who believe. Lord, dismiss us now with your grace. Give us a day in which we can honor and glorify your name. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.